Section 11 of Monday Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Monday Tales by Alphonse Daudet. Translated by Marianne McIntyre. Section 11. Country Folk in Paris During the Siege. At Champrosay, these people were happy indeed. Their farmyard was just under my windows, and for six months of the year my life brought me somewhat in contact with theirs. Before daybreak, the good men of the house would proceed to the stable, harness his wagon, and set out for Corbeil, where he sold his vegetables. A little later, the wife rose, dressed the children, fed the poultry, and milked the cow. All morning long, there was such a clatter of sabots over the wooden staircase. In the afternoon, all was silent. The father was in the fields, the children were at school, and the mother busied herself silently, spreading out linen in the yard, or sat and sewed before her door watching her youngest. From time to time, some passer-by would stop on the road, and then she would have a chat, plying her needle all the while. But one day, it was towards the end of the month of August, ever that memorable month, I heard the good wife saying to one of her neighbors, What? You don't mean it! The Prussians? But they've merely reached France, nothing more! They are at Chalons, Mother Jean, I exclaimed from my window, and that made her smile not a little. In that small, out-of-the-way corner of seine et the country people could not believe in an invasion at all, and yet every day wagons were seen passing, loaded with luggage. People had closed their houses, and through that beautiful month, when the days are so long, gardens blossomed in dreary solitude, and no one so much as opened a gate to look at them. By degrees my neighbors themselves grew alarmed. Each fresh departure from the neighborhood made them sad, they felt they were forsaken. One morning, a flourish of drums was heard through the village. An order had come from the Marie. They must go to Paris, sell their cow, their fodder, leave nothing behind for the Prussians. And so the good men set out for Paris, and it was a mournful journey indeed. Along the paved highway, one heavy van of furniture followed another, a long procession and helter-skelter ran troops of swine and sheep, dazed and confused, getting between the wheels while oxen, tied together, bellowed after the wagons. On the side of the road, along the ditch, poor wretches were hurrying on foot, behind hand-carts full of antiquated furniture, faded easy-chairs, empire-tables, and mirrors draped in chintz. It was impossible not to feel what distress had entered these homes, at having to remove all these dusty things, all these relics, and to drag load upon load of them along the highways. At the gates of Paris it was suffocating. There was a wait of two hours. All this time the poor farmer, pushed against his cow, gazed in terror at the embrasures, where cannon were mounted, at ditches filled with water, the fortifications which rose before him, and tall Italian poplars, cut down and withering along the roadside. 
That evening he returned, utterly dismayed, and told his wife all he had seen. The wife was terrified and wanted to leave the very next day, but something always occurred to delay their departure from one day to another. There was a new harvesting, or a piece of land that must be ploughed, and would they not have time to gather the vintage? And deep down in their hearts was a vague hope that perhaps the Prussians would not visit their part of the world. One night they were awakened by an awful report. The Corbet Bridge had been blown up. Men were running about the country, knocking from door to door with the cry, The Ulens! The Ulens! Flee for your lives! They rose as quickly as they could, harnessed the wagon, dressed the children, still half asleep, and fled along the crossroads with some of their neighbors. Just as they climbed the hill, the clock rang three. They looked back one last time. There was the watering place, the church square. There were the roads they knew so well, one descending towards the Seine, the other winding among the vineyards. Already everything began to look strange to them, and in the gray mist of the early morning, the little deserted village itself, each house closed against its neighbor, seemed to shiver, as if it too were filled with some terrible foreboding. And now they are in Paris. Two rooms in the fourth story in a dismal street. The man himself might be worse off. Work has been found for him, and besides, he is in the National Guard. He has the life on the ramparts, the daily drill, and diverts himself as best he can, that he may forget his empty granary and his unsown fields. But the woman, less amenable to the influences of civilization, is wretched, weary of it all, does not know what to do with herself. She has sent the two oldest children to school, but in that dreary day school, not brightened by a single flower plot, the little girls cannot breathe freely, and they remember their own pretty convent school in the country, as busy and full of life and happiness as a beehive. They remember the half-mile walk they took through the woods every morning to reach that school. It pains the mother to see them so unhappy, but she worries most of all about the youngest child. At home he went back and forth, following her everywhere, through the yard, through the house, passing across the threshold as many times as herself, dabbling his tiny reddened hands in the wash-tub, seating himself at the door when she would rest herself for a little while with her knitting. But here they must climb four stories, over a dark stairway where the feet slip. There is only a miserable fire in the narrow chimney-place, and through the high windows is seen only a grey, smoky horizon, and rooftops of wet slate. There is, however, a yard where he might play, but this the concierge will not permit. These concierges are another invention of city life. At home, in the village, every man is his own master, and everyone has at least a little corner he may call his own. And all day long the door is ajar. At nightfall, a big wooden latch is enough for safety and soon the entire household is wrapped in the darkness of night in the country, a night which knows no fear and is filled with refreshing slumber. Now and then, 
A dog may bark at the moon, but no one loses his rest on that account. Here in Paris, in these houses of the poor, the concierge is the real proprietor. Her boy dares not go downstairs alone. He is so afraid of this ill-natured woman, who has even compelled them to sell their goat, pretending that it dragged straw and peelings over the stones of the yard. The poor mother has no stories left with which to divert the child when he is tired. After their meal is over, she wraps him as if they were going for a walk in the fields. Together, hand in hand, they pass through the streets, along the boulevards. Startled, jostled against, bewildered, the child scarcely casts a glance around him. He sees nothing that interests him except horses. They are the only objects that look familiar to him, and he smiles when he sees one. Neither does the mother take the least pleasure now in anything she sees. She walks on with slow steps, dreaming of her house, her little homestead, and as they pass by, the mother, with her open, honest expression, her neat attire, her smooth and shining hair, the child with his chubby figure, his big galoshes, one who looks at them closely must feel that they are two aliens, exiles, who long with all their hearts for the fresh air and the solitude of their country lanes. End of section 11. Recording by Linda Johnson.